It's a, it's a funny thing. I said this to Matt last week. I know my sermon might have felt a bit heavy last week, but it was a curious thing that, you know, when I was preparing it, I was, I was giddy with joy. It was the strangest thing. I was so happy to be preaching. Um, and then obviously, you know, I ended up talking about persecution and, and things, and, and it felt heavy, and yet I know that I was joyful because the Lord is doing something in this body, okay, and this, and this word is alive for us. Um, and today we're gonna go into Acts a little further, and yeah, the, 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 the topic, or the, if the sermon title, if we want one, is um, sacrifice and sorcery. So that's a pick-me-up, isn't it? So that's, that's great. Um, I know. So um, before we get into there, uh, into Acts, um, and you know, I'll see how I go. I've got basically, I think I can get through my sermon, but it divides neatly into two, so we'll just see. Um, but uh, just two announcements before I start. See, I, I'm sneaky, I can do my announcements now when everyone's sitting down and it's quiet, unlike Paul Bill at the beginning. So the first one is uh, next Sunday, um, we have a real treat. Um, our friend Adam Narciso is coming up from Nashville. Um, if you haven't heard Adam before, he is um, a, 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 a man of God, um, a man of passion, um, a man of stout girth. Um, he, he was the man uh, who the Lord used to heal me of psoriasis in a moment. Um, it was him or his team that first spoke prophetic words over Bill and Susie uh, and was transformative in their, in their walk towards the Holy Spirit. Um, he has changed so many people's lives in this body alone, let alone all around the country where he's ministered. So. Um, bring your friends. Um, he's also really hilarious. Um, uh, he, he has a, a, he's, a in, he's an evangelist who also walks in the power of the Spirit, you know, and what's better than that? So um, come and listen to Adam. I always tell Adam what we're doing um, because he wants to honor us in what we're doing, but he really, very, very rarely does anything close to what I've asked him to do. So um, he will just do what the Lord tells him, and that's awesome. Um, but he knows we're pressing into some deep things here. Uh, the second announcement, um, Kath, I'll ask Kath to send out an email on, on this, but all the men in the room, whatever your age, um, we're gonna have another men's um, Bible, not Bible study, book study this semester, okay? It'll be every second Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but starting the following Wednesday. And we're gonna be using Andrew Murray's absolute surrender. Okay, I keep using that word surrender, now you're gonna get a chance to practice it. It is a little bit of a swear word for some of us, I know, okay. But, <laughs> let's see how brave you are, okay. Um, so we'll, we'll send out an email and Kath will let you know how to say if you wanna to come to that. Um, all right, so a few years ago, um, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, a, a man from Sudan who was a Sharia court judge. And if you know anything about Sudan, you know that they follow the strictest form of Sharia. They have very uh, conservative interpretations of Islamic law. And he was in the epitome of a conservative Sharia judge. Um, and one day, a small book containing the Gospel of John managed to find its way into his house. And he started reading it, and he says he got through a few verses and he just threw it to the ground in disgust. And the next day he picked it up again. 
And he read a few verses and he threw it to the ground in disgust. And he says that it aggravated him and it antagonized him. But by the time he finished that little book, he knew Jesus. And that's all it took. The man was antagonized by the word of God. A few years ago, um, you know, this often happens with the Holy Spirit. You're minding your own business, reading the Bible. Um, and um, I was reading in Corinthians, and these words from 1 Corinthians 4 antagonized me. And Paul said to the Corinthians, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And I, and I read those words, and the Holy Spirit said to me, where is your power? When did you last see power in your church? This is while I was still living in England. And, and those words, they gripped me as only you know, words that are filled, not just this book of life, but they're filled with the life of the Spirit, and they antagonized me, and they started me on a journey that just rocked my world in learning about a God who is a God of power. And I, 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 I said this last week, there might be things that I say that offend you. I don't think that we read this book with seriousness <laughs> if we're not offended by it. But I don't want to offend you for the sake of offending. I want us to be antagonized by what this book reveals, okay? So this book of Acts, this revelation of Jesus, this revelation of how he decided to form the church. Okay, not a book of stories, but a book that shows us how he wants the church to be. So let's read Acts 7. Um, now, Stephen's address to the council is one of the most beautiful scriptures, but I just don't have time to read all, all of it, so forgive me. Um, please do read it this week. I'm going to start with verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Let's drop down to verse 48, to the end of Stephen's address. However, Stephen says, the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. 
as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And this obviously is what we know about Stephen the most, the first martyr of the church. As Bill said, um, he's the first person outside the apostles that we know for a fact uh, in scripture performs signs and wonders. The first one, you know, maybe there are others, but he's the first one that scripture actually talks about. And, it, and all the scripture tells us is three things, that he was full of the spirit and full of wisdom and that he served. That's a pretty basic requirement. He was full of the spirit and wisdom and he was a man who served. And I'm just gonna say a few things. You know, sometimes you read scripture and you think, gosh, this just speaks for itself. What can I possibly say? But this is what I believe the Lord wants to highlight. We've seen throughout the first few chapters of Acts, we have the gospel being preached by these men and women who are on fire for the Lord because of the spirit that fills them. And we see miracles and signs and wonders and we see demons cast out. In other words, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light is hitting against darkness and it's winning. And Jesus is nowhere to be seen. His spirit is there, living in his people. And this is the testimony of the church. And so we get to Stephen, again a man who is doing what the apostles have done, what the disciples have done, but he stirs the anger of the council. And obviously when we talk about death, it is heavy. Okay, and Paul Maria is in my religious freedom class at the moment, and it's a pretty depressing class. And we look at a lot of pain and suffering in the world. But if we will look closely enough at our brothers and sisters who suffer, if we will look at Stephen closely enough, we see that there is an incredible joy here. And it might just push against the way that we understand Christianity is supposed to be. So we, we see in Stephen this man who was willing to die for the one that he loved. Those wonderful words that Jesus says to Martha 
when she's complaining about her sister, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. And we see this with Stephen, that he has encountered the Holy Spirit. He's a man of power. He's a man of wisdom. He's a man who knows Jesus. You don't perform miracles unless you have the Holy Spirit powering through you and you've encountered Jesus, okay? And men come and lie against him. And there's no doubt at any time in this test that Stephen could have said, you know what, you guys are right. You know, I'm not a Jewish leader. I will bow to your superior knowledge. But he doesn't. He has a treasure which no one is going to take from him. And, you know, so I, I spend a lot of time looking at our brothers and sisters around the world who have this choice every day. And there are millions of them. Millions. And will they proclaim, proclaim Christ or will they bow to those who would use violence? And this is, there's this reality, and I know this, I know this is heavy, <laughs> but we have these... Um, we have these really comforting words where Jesus says to us, don't worry. Don't worry if you get pulled before elders and leaders because I will give you the words to say. And that's awesome if you think, cool, Jesus is gonna give me the words to get me out of trouble, you know? But the reality, like I don't think any of us doubt that what Stephen was saying was empowered by the Spirit. This is such a beautiful scripture this look at the history of God's people, drawing these religious leaders to see the truth of who Jesus is. This is so spirit-filled, and yet it is the words that Jesus gives them to say at the end that lead them to gnash their teeth at him and to seize him and to stone him. So that's comforting, Jacob. (laughs) But he had a treasure that he was not willing to give up even unto death. And as, as we read this, some of these final words of, of, of Stephen, and again, I'm sorry, this is not the easiest thing to hear, but we, we, have, to, we have to hear these words and we have, to, we have to ask them of ourselves. Okay, are we uncircumcised in heart? and ear, and it'll be awesome. And I pray that you ask that, you ask that question, you say, yeah, I'm good, and, then, and that's cool, that's awesome. But we have to be willing to ask ourselves that question. Because when I, when I, when I read those words of Stephen, you always resist the Holy Spirit. as your fathers did, so do you. And then he goes on to talk about the prophets, but this phrase, you resist the Holy Spirit. Like, I know, I know I've done that. I have choices daily to do that. And some of them, you know, they're small, but sometimes these matter. And we have, to be, we have to be willing to ask ourselves 
if we, if we have this treasure in Christ, that we will, not, we will not resist his spirit. We will not fear man. We will not fear the religious systems around us that want to resist him. But we will stand in truth. And that's, this is another time for a sermon on the religious spirit. Okay, we've done some of those in the past. But this, this is the problem with the religious spirit. The thing that, you know, there's, there's so many things that we can get trapped in. You know, if, if you're trapped in pornography, I don't have to convince you that it's a sin, I hope. We, we kind of know it, don't we? And if we're angry and hate-filled, we kind of know that's a sin. I hope, okay. And then that, that, this is the devious thing about the religious spirit. The thing that we see this council trapped in, that we saw them trapped in, in Acts 3 and 4 as well, is that they think they're good, and they think they're honoring God, and they think they understand the scriptures. And the religious spirit loves to hide behind holiness and righteous actions and the appearance of godliness and masks. And so maybe, maybe an easier way of asking that question, am I uncircumcised in, in heart and ears, is to ask the Lord, where in my life am I not surrendered to you? Where in my life am I pretending? And then if he speaks to you and tells you, <laughs> then be willing to get on your knees and repent and, and ask him to change you. We have to have this, this cry. And, and sometimes, um, some, sometimes the deepest work of the Spirit won't require any words of you. Okay, you, you know, you have these experiences where the Holy Spirit moves and you end up just blowing your way through 53, you know, um, what do you guys call them? Um, tissues, tissues? Okay, good. Um, and sorry, I still get lost after all these years. Um, you know, and you don't have words to actually, you don't know what he's doing, but he's, like, he's like he's ripping out your insides and doing something, and sometimes it's just that. Just ask him, Lord, meet me, transform me. This, this happened to me on Thursday. Again, I was just minding my own business, and I started watching a, a, a Jackie Pullinger interview in which she just was saying stuff I already knew and the Holy Spirit just worked me over. And I don't know what it was. I still don't know what it was, but it was glorious. But let him meet you. We have this wonderful image of our God who stands at the door and knocks. We have this wonderful image of our God from Isaiah where it says that he will not break a bruised weed, he will not snuff out a wick that is smoldering, he is gentle. And so we don't have to fear asking him to come into these places in our lives. But Stephen's story ends with glory. That in death, as he's approaching death, he sees Jesus. He sees the one he loves. And God has used his death so powerfully. 
We still talk about it today, don't we? He still challenges us today. He still transforms us today. And, you know, and one, one, of the, one of the, I don't know what it's gonna be like when we get to heaven, if we'll know everything or if we'll be able to ask questions. But one of the questions that I have for Paul is I wanna know what Stephen's death did to you when you met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Because I have a feeling that this face of an angel tormented Paul for the rest of his life. Not in a torment, not, I don't mean like in torment, but that it drove him, it antagonized him in the right way. Before he, be, he became a Christian, he knew what it was to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And it wasn't his example, it was Stephen that taught him that. And I want to ask Paul about that. And in two weeks, Joe's going to talk to us about Paul and his conversion. And I'm, ex- I'm excited for that. Let's go into Acts 8. I think I can do this. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to come back to Philip because we're going to talk, to talk about him in the next chapter. So just um, go through to verse 9. We've had sacrifice and now we have sorcery. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the great power of God. Careful what people say. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven, might be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So we have this strange encounter between Simon and Peter and John. But just note here, first of all, I know people in the church still argue about this, note that these men and women were baptized in the name of Jesus, okay? They were baptized and they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is always behind and in people's conversion. He's always active. But there is something distinct about asking elders, men and women of the Spirit, to pray for the Spirit. They are separate things. 
If you haven't ever done that, please do it. Ask someone in this church to pray for you. Really important little side note. But Simon is an interesting character. You know, and this rebuke, when I, when I first read it, this rebuke from Peter seems so harsh. And again, there's so much that we can pull from this, but there's just, there's just one thing that I believe the Father wanted to emphasize for us. It, it, it's common in the church that we can have this attitude, and you know, particularly in the West and with social media and TV evangelists and things, that like the Lord anoints someone, this man or woman who then goes on stages and preaches and, and does powerful things, and we elevate this person and say, well, I'm so glad God bless them, but you know, who am I? Simon tries to buy the Holy Spirit. Simon is a very good example of the need for discipleship, obviously. Okay, don't even forget that. But I, but I wondered, I wondered that at this rebuke, at the, at the seriousness of it, and I believe, I think it's because that it is so antagonistic and contradictory to the nature of the promise that God gives. On the one hand, you can't buy the Holy Spirit. That would imply you can control them. So that's just stupid and insulting. No one can control the Holy Spirit. Jesus followed the Holy Spirit. No one controls him. The best we can do is follow him and be surrendered to him. You can't control him. You can just surrender. And Simon's trying to monetize this gift that God wants to give to people whose hearts are surrendered, not to have the means. This, this gospel is, is full of our Savior, stories of our Savior meeting those who were in need, choosing the worthless in society to minister, celebrating the prostitute who anoints his feet, saying I'm here for the sick. This desire to buy the Spirit is the way that the world can look at power. It's the way that man looks at power. And it's the complete opposite of what God gives, which is freely to any who would surrender to him. I asked Bill to read those verses from Isaiah 55. Um, I said to Emily a few weeks ago, I've been stuck in Isaiah 55 for weeks. I try and read further and I can't get past verse three, where God says that this, to paraphrase him, that this source of abundant life that I'm craving, it's in his words. And his words are here, okay, and, and there is abundant life here. But what God is saying to Isaiah, this is before most of this is written, he's saying, come to me and sit at my feet and listen to my voice, and you will have an abundance of your soul. But Isaiah 55 starts, obviously, with God saying, come buy what is free. This gift is free. And one of the ways 
One of the ways that we resist the Holy Spirit, going back to Stephen, one of the ways that we resist him is to be proud and to think that we've got it worked out, to think that we were raised in the church and we go to chapel three times a week and we read our Bible half an hour a day and we do all these things that mark us as good Christians and our hearts, or at least portions of our hearts, might still be hard and shut off to him. And we resist him. And he wants all of us, obviously. Because if he has all of us, we will have freedom and we'll have life and we'll have him. So we have this religious way. But the other way that we resist him, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen Christian leaders do this, and men, men of decades of walking with God is a, is a weird, false humility, which is, oh, I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm just worthless. I can't earn, I don't deserve. And it's basically taking Simon's idea and flipping it on, it's it's the other side of the same coin. If only I was something, if only, then I could ask for the Spirit. And it's a free gift for everyone. So Jacob has absolutely no excuse but to be filled with the Spirit and to be a living manifestation of the presence of God on earth, a living temple of the Spirit. Agreed? Yeah. Maria, you as well. Ryan, even you, okay? Even you have no excuse. But again, like when, when, we, read these, when we read these accounts, I want you to think, at any time as we've read through any of these books so far, or if you read any other, any other story in the Bible when the Holy Spirit does something crazy, does the thought pop into your head, I'm never gonna see that. I don't deserve it, I'm not worthy of it. Does that thought ever come into your head or into your heart? Because if it does, that's a lie. First of all, of Satan, it's a lie of religion, and it's resisting the Holy Spirit, okay? Because he says, I am for everyone. And Jesus gave us this book, this, this book, but Acts in particular, because this is how he wants us to be. Now, I know I've just mentioned signs and wonders occasionally. What have we seen so far? What's the weirdest thing we've seen so far? Peter's shadow healing people. That's pretty cool. I don't know you, but I think you probably think that's quite cool. Okay. Like literally, your shadow touching something. Come on. That's cool. Okay. It's astounding. And I can't promise you that that will ever happen to you. I, can't, I don't know if it's ever gonna happen with me. I don't know if it has, it probably hasn't. I'm sure someone would have told me if it had, okay? But I have this choice that I, that I can look at this book and I can say this book is normative for me and, and, I, and I want to pursue the wonder of Jesus that I see modeled in scripture. And I might get to heaven and the Father might look at me and he might laugh his head off at me and say, man, You really took me at my word, didn't you? That was really stupid. Like, that's the worst I can think. But if I go to heaven and he says to me, why did you not believe this book that I gave you? 
That'll break my heart. And so it's up to him how much of that he gives me. Maybe my shadow will heal someone. The presence of the Lord will be so abundant in me. Oh, praise the Lord. I hope that happens one day. But I've seen people healed. I've seen demons come out of people when I've touched them. And I praise God for that because I see it in here. And I see it around me. I was, I was reading um, David, a recent sermon by David Hogan, kind of crazy guy if you haven't ever come across him. He now counts 28 people that he's raised from the dead. That's a lot by anyone's standard, okay? <laughs> all right, if, if he accounts for all of the pastors in his ministry in Central and South America, over 400 confirmed people raised from the dead. That's, that's impressive, okay? Um, like he does the stuff still. And we're not excused because we have doctors. We're not excused because we live comfortable lives, okay? We have the same spirit in us. That was in Peter, that was in John. That was in David Hogan, that's in Smith Wigglesworth and all the people I've seen move in power. So don't resist him. Obviously, slight warning, if you do surrender and ask him to come in, you know, it's quite a ride. So, you know, get ready. But there's no life like it. So will you, will you pray with me? Um, and we've got a few minutes here. So I don't want to just rush through a prayer. But will you, um, will you just pray with me? And I, I just want to give the Holy Spirit 30 seconds or a minute here to just speak to us. Our lives are so busy. Just give him a little bit of time. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the testimony of your word. And Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you for Stephen, Lord, the, the, the example that our brother sets for us. I thank you for the, the wonder of his faith. I, I thank you. I thank you that you were with him even in that trial. He could see you. He knew the one to whom he was going. And Jesus, it's, it's quite po- possible that for many of us in the room, we haven't, we haven't tasted of you. We haven't seen you in the way that Stephen obviously did, that you are such a treasure that nothing compares. You're not just a religious fact, Jesus, but that you are our living, intimate friend and savior and king. The one that we laugh with. The one that we adore and worship. I know, Lord, that your, your death, the purpose of your death was to draw us into relationship with you. To draw us into intimacy with you. And that begins 
as soon as we turn our hearts, as soon as we open that door that you stand at and knock. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Jesus said that you would take from what is his and you would tell it to us. So I, I ask that you would speak to us now, just individually. Would you show us if there is any way that we have been resisting you? If there is anything in our hearts that is uncircumcised?